to see so many visitors, to see so many people back for the first time. I love it when church just fills up like this. So did, uh, did any of you guys stay up to see the red moon on Monday night going into Tuesday morning? Anybody? Okay. Yes, it's one of the signs of the end times, you know. Uh, especially since it, it appeared over election day. Um, and, you, you know, if, if, you, if you've been listening to any of the, the mainstream media over the last couple of months, and I don't, I don't recommend it, but if you have, uh, one of the repeated lines that we were told over and over uh, again is that democracy is on the ballot. And, you know, lots, lots of different things happen during the political race, but we're all still here, Right. Regardless of how it turned out, we're all still here. The sky didn't fall. Um, and I think the moon is back to its regular color, although I have not checked. Uh, but, you know, people make predictions about all kinds of things, right? Especially about the apocalypse and about the end of the world. And over the years, many, many people have made predictions about it. Back, I always remember back when I was in grade school. The intelligentsia of the day always said there was going to be a devastating famine that was going to cover the entire globe by the mid-1980s. But I'm not any thinner for it, right? Um, But, you know, people make all kinds of predictions. Uh, The Mayan calendar, if you remember, uh, said that we'd all be toast by 2012. But 2012 came and went, and we're still here. Uh, Modern cosmologists say there's a good chance... Uh, we could be hit by an extinction-level comet sometime in the next 22 billion years. So start worrying now, right? And in our lesson today, even Jesus' first disciples wanted to know some clues about the end times. Uh, And that's actually where we pick up today as we get back into our lectionary reading. So I hope you have your own Bible with you. It's great that it's on the screen, but as I always say, it's more important that you see it uh, in a Bible that you can take home with you and, and read it over and see it in front of you. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 21, verses 5 to 28. So Luke 21, verses 5 to 28. And brothers and sisters, hear the words of the true and living God. Luke tells us, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, meaning Jesus, said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they ask him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? And and he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And then he said to them, nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There'll be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness about me. Settle it, therefore, in your mind not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that its destruction has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in these days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against its people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what's coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the faithful witness of this, uh, this sermon, this message by your son that he gave to his disciples that uh, they've passed on to us. And Lord, help it to uh, encourage us, Lord, not to be afraid as we look to the future. Uh, we ask you, Father, uh, by your Holy Spirit, that you would take these words, these things, that you would write them on our hearts, and you would give us the sure and certain confidence that we can have only in you, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys that have been in Sunday school class, you know the temple in Jerusalem uh, was the heart of Judaism in the first century. If you, if you remember, uh, we talked about the original temple built by King Solomon had been destroyed centuries before Jesus' day, and then a second one had been rebuilt uh, in Nehemiah's day, but nothing compared to the glory of the original. And so when King Herod the Great came to the throne in 37 B.C., uh, that wasn't enough for him, and so he began the task of embellishing and expanding it. Uh, actually starting work on it about 20 years or so before Jesus was born. And the work actually continued all through Jesus' adult ministry. And this place was enormous, guys. Uh, the smallest stones in the structure weighed two to three tons, uh, with many of them weighing closer to 50 tons. The largest existing stone that you can still see is still part of the Wailing Wall uh, is about 40 feet in length. It's just under 10 feet high, and it weighs hundreds of tons. And these stones that we're talking about were so immense that their stability was attained just by their weight, without needing any any mortar or any uh, you know mortar between them or supports around them. Uh, and the place was so big in Jesus' day uh, that Josephus tells us a million people could fit comfortably within the structure. So we're talking about bigger than any sports stadium or concert venue that you could even imagine. Uh, and not only was the temple the religious capital, uh, it also functioned as the focus of their civic life. It was a symbol that God's hand of providence was over the nation of Israel. Uh, because to the Jewish people, the temple was the divine dwelling place of God. Uh, it was the seat of His throne inside the Holy of Holies. And it set Israel apart as the only nation on earth where the actual presence of the living God chose to reside in a building inspired and ordained by God himself. And so because of that, this whole complex was really heavily guarded to ensure dignity and order, especially because just prior 
to the events in today's reading, the whole city was filling up with folks who were flocking to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover uh, in an atmosphere uh, of excitement that would rival any of the holidays we're about to celebrate this time of year. And so in our reading today, Jesus and his disciples were walking near this uh, magnificent temple complex when some of them started talking about how great it looked, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and with precious gifts dedicated to God and, and pointing out to the Lord its, its architectural grandeur. Uh, when Jesus basically says to them, um, guys, don't, don't be too impressed because what you see here is not permanent. He told them as we read, he said, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Because what they didn't realize, it was although the temple might look pretty on the outside, it was getting pretty rotten on the inside. And even if all of the grandeur and the beauty might be impressive to you guys, the Lord was saying, the religious system that it was designed to promote was falling apart internally. Although most of the people alive at that, they didn't realize it. And so when Jesus told them it would all be thrown down and destroyed, they were shocked. It was unthinkable. Uh, it wasn't the response they were expecting. They couldn't imagine life without it. So that made them frightened about the future. Uh, just like you and I can be sometimes, right? Uh, the disciples' questions were no different than ours would have been. What would we have asked? Um, wh when is that going to happen? Uh, what's the end going to look like? When's it going to come? What signs should we look for? Uh, it's, a, it's a question people are still asking today, right? Uh, and Jesus didn't directly give them an answer, did he? Uh, instead, he paints this vivid picture of warring nations and insurrections and earthquakes and, and famines and civil unrest and all these frightful omens in the sky. And you know, as we read our text today, it's easy to hear that and on the one hand, either be overwhelmed by all of that apocalyptic imagery or, or just to kind of brush it off and ignore it altogether and think, well, I'll think about that tomorrow. But apocalyptic imagery aside and dreadful portents aside, I imagine that many of us have been wondering lately if our current world is not falling apart right before our eyes. Right? We're, we're still living in the effects of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Politically and culturally, we're more divided than ever. Uh, our country is at war on several fronts. Uh, terrorist attacks have escalated around the world. Our planet has been plagued by an increasing number of hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes. Um, and it's not only the world that seems to be falling apart, but the worldwide Christian church has been too. Uh, major denominations who were uh, were once bastions of truth, had begun denying the authority of Scripture. Some minimizing the exclusivity of Christ's atonement, and others not only accepting but celebrating ungodly lifestyles. And so with doctrine and truth abandoned, some liberal forms of Christianity have begun to transform into a whole new humanistic religion of wokeness, which, brothers and sisters, is nothing more than the latest iteration of the spirit of Antichrist which has been working behind the scenes since the days of the apostles. That's why 1 John 4.3 says, Everyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God has the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is already active in the world. And thinking about all that can get depressing, right? 
So when you consider Jesus' words and the state of our world, we have to ask ourselves, how do we as followers of Christ keep pressing on in the midst of trying times when we have absolutely no real idea what tomorrow is going to bring? And the answer, thankfully, comes from our gospel reading. Because if you were listening, the real focus of Jesus' words is not on the end of the world itself uh, or on the signs that accompany it, but instead the focus was on what it should mean for how we, his followers, continue to live in confidence and peace no matter what happens. Amen, somebody. And so even though the disciples wanted to know when all these things were going to occur so they could figure out what to do when it comes, instead Jesus tells them what not to do when the world seems to be falling apart. What not to do when they find themselves on trial and under persecution. What not to worry about when that persecution comes. And we've talked about this a lot in Sunday school over the past year, you guys, about the variety of ways that following Jesus now puts us at odds with the values of this world. Uh, And at times with the values of our friends and even sometimes our own family members. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, our faith is on trial every single day of our lives. Uh, It's on trial in the day-to-day choices that we make. It's on trial in the way we spend our money and where we spend our time. It's challenged whenever tragedy and trials come to call. In fact, someone has written, uh, we're all just a car crash or a diagnosis or an unexpected phone call, an unforeseen moment or a broken heart away from becoming a completely different person. And the point is, life is short. And it's unpredictable. And so in light of that, how do you and I react when our world is falling apart? In our gospel lesson today, as I said, Jesus doesn't give us any advice on what to do, but on what not to do. And Jesus offers three pieces of advice. He says, first, don't be led astray by false teaching or bad advice. Number two, don't panic when the unexpected happens. And maybe most importantly, don't be afraid of the future. And now, of course, I don't have time to develop all of those points as fully as I would like to, but we have to hit the highlights because when the world is falling apart, most people, whether Christian or not, end up doing the very things that Jesus says in the lesson not to do. We let ourselves become deceived, which is exactly what Jesus had warned as something not to do in verse 8 when he said, uh, he replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and saying the time has come, but don't believe them. And you know, I think one of the easiest places to see how that kind of deception is at work in our world today is how our culture treats sin. Like for instance, you ever notice nobody says the word adultery anymore? What is it now? Having an affair, right? That sounds a whole lot more fun, right? Um, Sodomy now is just an alternative lifestyle. Uh, Late-term abortions are not called murder. They're simply called now our right to choose. As little by little, the idea of absolute truth is being eroded out of our culture. And so what's the remedy? Well, brothers and sisters, the only sure way to balance this deception in the world is to know the Scriptures and obey what God tells us to do. It's that simple. And it's that hard. It's that hard. And not only are we not to be deceived, Jesus also warns us not to be afraid. Not to be afraid as we deal with a constant barrage of negative and frightening predictions concerning the future. Because they're either going to cause us to cave into fear, 
Or we could take Jesus' advice in verse 9 when he said, when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's correcting the mistaken impression of the disciples by telling them basically, you know what, guys, keep your wits about you. Uh, understand the times you're in. But at the same time, remember everything that happens isn't a sign of the end of times. I mean, yes, the devil is hard at work in the world, but church, he's not hiding behind every bush or around every corner, right? Because even though the Bible does tell us what to expect, it's given to us in prophecy and in signs, not in time-stamped predictions. That's why further on in the same discourse in Mark 13.32, Jesus adds by saying, but concerning that day, in other words, the end, uh, he says, in that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Guys, if Jesus doesn't know, stop pretending like we do. Okay? Because the purpose of the prophecies does not center around our perfect knowledge of how every little detail of life will all play out. But it shows us that God is in control, so we don't need to be afraid regardless of what happens. So that's why we're told not to panic. But people don't always remember that, do they? You know, sometimes I think we, we like to think we're smarter than God uh, and that he might need our help from time to time, right? If God would just listen to me and do, right, everything I wanted, uh, life would be so much easier. Uh, and even solid Christian folks do that sometimes. Uh, and we're always trying to pin down a date for the big finale of planet Earth. Even though Jesus himself... Uh, has said he has personally not looked ahead to find out when that's going to be, probably so his men wouldn't pester it out of him. And yet still people publish their predictions, don't they? Uh, way back in April of 1843, a New England farmer named William Miller claimed that after several years of careful study, he concluded uh, that God's chosen time to destroy the world would come sometime between March 21st of 1843 and March 21st of 1844. Uh, closer to our time, you guys remember, who remembers Haley's Comet, right? When Haley's Comet appeared in the late 90s, rumors surfaced that an alien spacecraft was following behind it, right? And the whole thing was being covered up by NASA and uh, some astronomical community, you know, the same people that faked the moon landing, right? Uh, and even though those claims could be refuted by astronomers and really by, I mean, any average person with a good telescope, uh, these claims inspired a San Diego cult named Heaven's Gate to conclude that the world would end. Uh, and brothers and sisters, unfortunately, the world did end for 39 of those cult members who committed suicide on March 26th of 1997. Uh, in his book, God's Final Witness, a guy by the name of Ronald Whelan wrote that uh, the Bible predicted that by 2006, the United States would have completely collapsed as a world power. And he was so convinced, he says at the end of the book, he stakes his whole reputation on the line as the ultimate end-time prophet of God. But, but what happened? None of that, right? All of those predictions failed. And the poor folks who believe those false prophets are left wondering if the Bible was true and reliable. But guys, it wasn't the Bible that failed. It was the misinterpretation of the Bible that failed. And so I've told you this before, um, and I really mean it, if you ever want a really safe bet, the next time someone tries to 
you know, stamp an expiration date on the cosmos like it's a cottage cheese container at Publix. Um, bet every penny you have against them, right? I, I, better, better odds than the lottery because I guarantee you on the authority of God's word that they're going to be wrong. Uh, but honestly, that's, that's important to remember as a brand new year is almost upon us. And we wonder what the future of our nation holds. And so this actually couldn't be a more timely message in light of our polarizing political climate and, and the advent of the final midterm results and the fragile nature of our now fractured union. Uh, and even though I, I pray for God to restore sanity to Washington under a new Congress, uh, you know, Jesus' message here is just like the temple. Brothers and sisters, there is no political party that's permanent. Uh, there's no human ruler that has a grip on righteousness. There is no government, whether liberal or conservative or somewhere in between, that will ever supplant the plans or the purposes of Almighty God. And we can't make the same mistakes that the people of Jesus' day made who were looking around for an enigmatic leader who shared their political opinions and who would facilitate their personal desires because no one human being can do that. No one can do that. But instead, we need to be keeping an eye toward eternal solutions that can only come in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So yes, work and pray for good government on the one hand, but trust God and hold on tightly to his hand on the other. Because brothers and sisters, either way, if our hope is in God's providence and if we believe that he is in control, we can be confident even in a world that may be seeming to fall apart all around us. And we can use those circumstances as opportunities to point to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, he said that to us. He said it to us in the reading. Uh, when they bring you to trial and they deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand about what you're to say. Say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And in Luke's continuing account on this story, Jesus actually rounds out that advice by saying, if you remember, this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Christ wants us to, to use those opportunities of trials to testify to him. He wants us to share our story and to share how Jesus has impacted our lives how he's transformed us, and he wants us to be a witness as to whether we really believe Jesus is who he says he is. Do we really live like we believe he is who he says he is? Do his words undergird every aspect of our lives? Is he a real foundation on which you can stand, or is he just an idea that we occasionally drag out to comfort ourselves? And so I say to you today in Christ's name, if you're not sure on which side of that equation you fall, don't leave here today without making a decision. That's why Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. So, brothers and sisters, if you hear the Lord reaching out to you today, don't turn away. Because the end is coming. Whether it's the end of the world or just the end of our individual lives. And you will not always have a chance to receive him. Brothers and sisters, we don't know what the future holds. Uh, we don't know exactly where our culture is headed, and we don't always know which person to put our faith in uh, as they make their predictions on the evening news shows. And so today, more than ever, we need to have our feet firmly planted on a firm foundation, and that is our redemption in Jesus Christ. Uh, our redemption by the grace of God through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus revealed to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then, and only then, can we set our hand to whatever we're called to plow through in this life as we keep our focus fixed on heaven and refuse to live in fear. 
And I just want to leave you with a poignant and I think a really helpful quote by the great reformer Martin Luther. I've shared this with you before too, but he purportedly said, even if I knew the world was ending tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. Which is really more of a colorful way to affirm the truths of Scripture we find in Romans 14 that says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And to this end, Christ died and rose again that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. And brothers and sisters, that's a prediction you can take to the bank. Amen. God, our Father, we thank you uh, that in a crazy, messed up world, we have the firm foundation of Jesus Christ to stand on. I ask you, Father, that uh, in this moment, if there's even one among us that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would surprise them by the power of your presence, that your Holy Spirit would reach out to them in this moment and uh, take out their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, that you would open their ears and eyes and minds to receive this message. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can go out into this week trusting in your providence and in your care, uh, knowing, Lord, that nothing can reach into our lives apart from your saving knowledge. And so we thank you, Father, for all that you're about to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please